Hello, and welcome to the Text in Us podcast. I'm your host, George Fricks, and I'm here with my co-host, L. Grover Fricks, to resume our discussions in Exodus chapter 22. Yeah, we might be in the legal code, but just before we started recording, I said, I'm excited. Some of the stuff is pretty baller. And George said, yep. Yep. <laughs> so here we go. Chapter 22, Scroll of Shemot. If a man steals an ox or a flock animal... He slaughters him or sells him. Five herd animals he will pay for an ox. Four sheep under a flock animal. If the thief is found breaking in and he is struck and dies, there is no blood for him. If the sun dawns upon him, blood for him. Full payment he will pay. If he has nothing, he will be sold for his theft. If finding an ox until a donkey or a living flock animal is found in his hand, he will pay double. If a man consumes a field or vineyard, he will send his consumer. It consumes in the field of another. From the best of his field and the best of his vineyard, he will pay in full. If a fire departs and finds thorns, heaps or rising grain or the field, full payment he will pay, the one who kindled the consumer. If a man gives silver or clinking things to his neighbor to guard, and it is stolen from the house of the man, if it is found, the thief shall pay double. If it is not found, the thief shall be brought near the master of the house to the Elohim. If he has not sent his hand in that which fills his neighbor, upon every word of revolt, upon every an ox, upon a donkey, upon a flock animal, upon a dress, upon every lost thing, which one says, this is it, even to the Elohim. The word will come to of them. Whomever Elohim renders tumultuous, they will pay double to his neighbor. If a man gives a donkey to his neighbor, or an ox, or a flock animal, or any silent animal to guard, and it dies, and it is broken or taken captive, none sees it. An oath of Yahweh shall be between the two of them, that none has sent his hand in that which fills his neighbor. His master shall take it and not pay. But if stealing it was stolen from his people, he will fully pay his masters. If tearing he was torn to pieces, he will bring the torn pieces to testify he will not pay. If a man asks from with his neighbor, and it is broken or dies, and his master was not with him, full payment he will pay. If the master was with him, he will not pay. If he was hired, he came in his hiring. If a man opens a separated woman who is not financially betrothed, he lies with her. Quickly he will make pay the dowry of the woman. If refusing, her father refuses to give her to him silver, he shall weigh out according to the dowry of the separated woman. A foreign whispering priestess will not live. All who lie with a silent animal, dying, he shall be put to death. He who slaughters to the gods, he will be shut away, except to Yahweh alone. You will not grind with hard labor, nor oppress a resident, for you were residents in the land of Mitzrayim. Every forsaken woman and lonely child you will not grind with hard labor. If grinding them, you grind them with hard labor. If shrieking, he shrieks to me. Heeding, I will heed his shrieks. My nose will burn. I will kill you with the sword. Your women, forsaken women, your sons, lonely children. 
If my people bind silver to the oppressed who were with you, you will not be a creditor to him. You will not place interest over him. If winding you wind the dress of your neighbor before the sun arrives, you shall return it to him. For if that is her only covering, it is his dress for his nakedness. And what will he sleep? It will be when he shrieks to me, I will heed, for I am a patron Elohim. You will not make one light who is lifted up in your people, nor curse. Your fullness and your weeping you will delay. The chosen of your sons you will give to me. So you shall do to your oxen and your flock animals. Seven days it will be with his mother. On the eighth day you will give him to me. Men set apart for a purpose. You shall be to me. You will not eat torn meat in the field. You will send it to the dog. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Whew. Especially that first part. It's much more poetic. Uh, uh, there's stuff missing. I feel like I'm trying to read Shakespeare in an intelligible way, you know. Uh, and again, full, totally get it to everybody who translates things here with more context to try to help people figure out what's supposed to be going on. Because if there weren't folks, um, especially Jewish folks who had done that for thousands of years, it would be uh, very difficult to forge out on our own being like, hmm, what does that mean? (laughs) But thankfully there's help. Um, But it's still cool to see what it actually says rendered down to the bare bones that we have. Right. Yeah. No, I agree with that. I love the conversation that gets to happen and um, and just the fact that it helps us read things in a fresh way. You know, we have to pay attention a little bit more um, because our brains are working a little bit more to try and make sense of things. So I think all of that is good. I think all of that is healthy and um, I'm just, yeah, I appreciate it. So let's go ahead and start into the text. I've put this into two different segments here. Part one is verses one through 15, which okay. is kind of the crops and oxen problem and thievery. Yep. Uh, and the second one is more like people to people relations. Mm-hmm. So uh, divided the portions that way. So one through 15 is going to be part one, 16 through what is it like 31, 32 something, or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, is going to be Uh, The second portion. So let's go ahead and dive in. Okay. First verse. Did you catch the Jesus story in this first thing? If a man steals an ox or a flox animal, he slaughters him or sells him. Five herd animals he will pay for an ox and four sheep under a flock animal. Who, in a Jesus story, has to pay back fourfold? (laughs) Zachy. Uh, you can't see it, but I've got L here going through the motions of the Zacchaeus song. Um, That's a wee little man. Uh, yes. Um, Zacchaeus, the tax collector. He does. So if he has to pay back specifically four times what he stole, who did he hurt? A Another person? A flock animal, George. <laughs> God's people are which animal? Sheep. Sheep. That's right. Or they're sometimes not, goats. They're, right. They're, uh, which are both flock animals. So they're not oxen. Zacchaeus has been betraying his people, compromising with Rome, oppressing them. And so Jesus, with Zacchaeus, makes sure he's following Torah. Uh, and for that crime, he gives back fourfold, I not like it. five, because it's an oxen. All right, we got there. We got there. Okay, verse one. 
down in the books. Uh, <laughs> moving into verse two, uh, I'm going to look at just, I'm going to read this verses two through four. Um, if the thief is found breaking in, he is struck and dies. There is no blood for him. If the sun draws upon him, dawns blood upon for him. him. Oh yeah. If the sun dawns upon him, blood for him. Kind of a Gandalf moment. Um, <laughs> Anything can be a Gandalf moment if you work hard enough. Full payment he will pay. If he has nothing, he will be sold for his theft. So an interesting thing where we kind of see a drawback to the previous chapter, which is talking about some of that process of being sold to, to pay off debt. Right. Um, uh, if finding an ox until a donkey or a living flock animal is found in his hand, he will pay double. Okay, so one of the things I want to note here for you who are following along and you're in your Bibles and you're trying to make sense of what we just read because you're looking at it and you're like, what in the world? This is not what my text says. Hmm. Quick note. Uh, there is a different order of these verses. Some of you might have, like in my NRSV, I actually have a note here that says, uh, and it has a little B there, so I go down to the uh, subtext, verses 2, 3, and 4, rearranged in this order. So wow. I'm going to go ahead and read just that section in my NRSV so you can hear the difference compared to what we just read. I mean, at least they told you. They weren't just like, little switcherooski, it's totally fine. That's true, tell. but I'm curious because not all translations do that. Right. Um, if we're seeing, you know, maybe working off a different manuscript or what's going on here, I'm not really certain. But here is the NRSV. When someone steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, the thief shall pay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. The thief shall make restitution, but if unable to do so, shall be sold for the theft. When the animal, whether ox or donkey or sheep, is found alive in the thief's possession, the thief shall pay double. If a thief is found breaking in and is beaten to death, no blood guilt is incurred. But if it happens after sunrise, blood guilt is incurred. Okay, so that's super funny to me. I would expect slash hope, and you can check the New Testament, um, like the Pericope and John, to see whether the NRSV is going to say... Um, anything about manuscripts mm. when they're doing something for a reason but it just feels very cultural to me that we went to like a slow chronological uh order what's that called escalation yeah of like look if he does this then it's this and have him pay this much and then if it's this then you can do this and then at the end it's like kill him you know right but in now what we see the biblical text it's like i'm imagining the community like frantically pawing through the scroll after somebody's shot someone in a stand your ground law type scenario mm. uh -huh. and they're like what are we supposed to do what are we supposed to do and so uh you know presumable moshe here or the person standing in for moshe puts it right at the top uh so that it's easily found you know yeah Right off the bat, look, there's no blood for him if he's found breaking in uh, and he's struck and dies. Um, yeah, and that just says blood, by the way. There's no there's no revenge word. There's no anything else. Just blood. Just blood. Although, Stoning. Right. Although that goes back to Genesis 4 with the blood of your brother is crying out from mm, the ground. So. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, also, if the sun dawns upon him you know uh just yes it has very cinematic energy of like the sun peeks through at the moment and everything turns to stone right. and oh no right now he's got to be killed or 
have be revenged or whatever avenged not revenge okay if also what a scenario you find that he's holding a donkey i love it by the way in his hand makes it seem like it's a tiny tiny donkey right um then he has to pay double Okay, going on. If a man consumes a field or a vineyard, he will send his consumer, more on this in a minute, it consumes the field of another from the best of his field and from the best of his vineyard, he will pay in full. Uh, this one goes with it for reasons I'll talk about in a sec. If a fire departs and finds thorns, heaps, and rising grain in the field, full payment, he will pay the one who kindled the consumer. Okay. Samson. Right. Okay. So what I like about this is when you start it, and in fact, when you read other translations, as far as I looked around at other people, which I didn't do very much, um, but they tend to go with animal, right? If you send an animal into somebody else's field right. and it starts eating, um, then the other guy gets to send, or the other person who owns property, whatever their gender, sends an animal into the other field. Ha-ha! From the best of his field and the best of his vineyard, he will pay in full. Um, and then that makes it feel like it's a pivot. The fire departs and finds thorns um, to something about fire. But it's not, and we have that word consumer, which is like eater. If an eater consumes fire, it okay. talks about like, for our God is a consuming fire, that verse mm. is just... An Interesting, fire. yeah, because like Rashi is definitely definitely going to go with the uh, pasturing flocks. I mean, that's definitely feels legitimate and definitely the more likely scenario. You know, animals wander. That's a problem yeah, of them happens. getting into other people's pastures, and then you have to go call, "Hey, cows in my pasture." Um, that's fairly normal, but it also leaves the door open. To be like, if he sets a fire um, in your field and vineyard, you know, uh, then he also gets to take from the best of your field and vineyard. And then if from there the fire takes off, finds thorns, heaps, rising grain in the field. So that's like your harvest, the stuff that is going to feed your family. Right. Um, then full payment he will pay. So yeah. both both situations you gotta pay. By the way, all of these full payment words are the word shalom. There's all sorts of lovely teachings out there about the meaning of the word shalom, and I'm not saying that they're wrong um, necessarily, but the like basic meaning of shalom um, is when it's talking about wholeness and completeness. And I've taught shalom being about wholeness and completeness mm -hmm. too. When we say we want shalom for you, we mean we want you to be a whole person, right? Um, which has a whole teaching thing coming from the sacrificial system. Um, but the basic meaning of uh, shalom is to pay. Like, how do you know whether you're at peace with the merchant that you're talking to? You're at peace with him if you have um, done everything that you need to in order to make a proper exchange of goods, yeah, right? There uh -huh. is no peace if you take the fruit from the merchant, um, picturing in Aladdin for some reason, and then you're like, you know, it's not that good of fruit, so I'm only going to pay you half. There's no shalom, right? So in order for there to be shalom, in order to... Shalem, uh, we have to be willing to meet the expectation and the price of the person that we're speaking with, which is challenging because it would be nicer if just nobody has any needs and expectations and we can all float around 
Um, but that that cost is built into the word, and sometimes we miss that when we're telling nice um, tales about walls that aren't yeah. quite complete yet until we have peace. Anyway, okay, not at all relevant to the modern day. Let's resume in verse 7 then. If a man gives silver or clinking things to his neighbor to guard, and it is stolen from the house of the man, which, by the way, like just reading that gives me anxiety. Being like, here, keep this for me. And then imagining it being stolen. Right. <laughs> like, oh, no. <laughs> if it is found, the thief shall pay double. If it's not found, the thief, which this is still imagining that we found the thief, right? The thief shall be brought near to the master of the house to the Elohim. Yeah, I'm curious about this because... How many translations say judges there? Just making things up. Well, it's it's not... They don't say judges. They say God um, uh, for the most part. What I'm curious Just about here... the V. They drop the thief. Huh. So if it is not found, the owner of the house shall be brought before God. Um... NRSV and NJB both say God. The Robert Alter edition says the gods. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Maybe they the all company. drop the thief. Okay, so looking at this, it's always tricky because of syntax in the Hebrew, but they can totally do that. That's fine. You can render it that way. They're probably right. If the thief is not found, then shall be brought the master of the house to the Elohim. Probably, I, I got so excited about the Elohim and how oh. the stuff I'm looking at says judges that mm-hmm. I, I have made an error. So thank you. <sighs> Alas, it shall be three floggings tonight. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if he has not sent his hand in that which fills his neighbor... Uh, verse 9, <laughs> upon every word of revolt, upon an ox, upon a donkey, upon a flock animal, upon a dress, upon every lost thing, which one says that this is it, even to the Elohim, the word will, will come to of them. Whoever Elohim renders tumultuous, they will pay double to his neighbor. Okay, so essentially saying, uh, if stuff is sold from your house are stolen from your house that you borrowed from, that somebody gave you to watch. This is basically the, so you don't get conned law, Mm -hmm. right? Somebody doesn't give you something to watch and then they go steal it because then you have to pay for it because it was stolen from your house. Right. Um, But it's interesting here, uh, the uh, legal fulfillment, right? The the, uh, master gets brought to the gods, the Elohim, which... You know, like you said, most people talk about that as judges. It's not the first time I've seen that. I've seen that in the uh, sages kind of talk about it that way as well. I mean, it's much harder to live out a theocracy in a controllable way, which is partially what the sages were working on, right? Like, how are we going to run things, especially even when we're in exile? Yeah. Um, Bringing people to your local elder who you've decided is a judge is a lot easier than being like let us draw near to god right (laughs) hello what shall we do and then trusting not to have some wacko be like oh kill them all you know 
Uh, so I get that, but that's not what it says. It says the Elohim. Um, that could be household gods. That could be actual God. Um, but it again, it says the. So it could be bringing toward the divine council. All of those things are possible. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's fascinating. I don't know what that would look like if it's a divine council thing. Like, how would you even accomplish that? I do not. I mean, um, there is a lot of Jewish literature on how to accomplish that. I'm sure. Uh, which is a fun time. Yeah. Um, yeah, so who knows? Um, they kind of give the similar uh, thing with the animal, the donkey, mm-hmm. uh, to guard it, and it dies or is stolen, <laughs> um, and no one sees what happens, right? Um an oath of Yahweh shall be between the two of them, mm-hmm. uh, which is an interesting way to resolve a dispute, right? Like, it's kind of like a, do you promise you didn't do this? Right. Yep. But it has the divine name attached but to it. But it has the divine name feels attached. feels pretty significant. Um, it does, yeah. And reading Rashi, what happens in this case, according to Rashi, is... Um, that oath is held, kind of like it says here, as true, unless you have a witness that comes and says otherwise. Hmm. Okay. Um, and then the person's in trouble. I love the plot twist at the end, because you're kind of imagining it as it goes along. Okay, we don't know what happened to it. You show up before the gods slash God slash whomever you choose um, to interpret, to take your oath, and then someone shows up with the pieces of it torn apart and he brings the torn pieces to testify he will not pay ha ha Mm. (laughs) the donkey wandered out of my pasture and was beset with a mountain lion big bummer i found a leg right (laughs) that's not funny Uh, you can tell it's funny because i didn't grow up on a farm like you (laughs) (laughs) so i don't have horrible visions in my head just like a cartoon donkey like in a field Right. I mean, we didn't have donkeys. That would be mostly a chicken scenario. Lots of chickens. Yeah. So many dead chickens. Uh, <laughs> An unwholesome amount of dead chickens. Sometimes cats. Okay, um, moving on. Yes. Uh, but, you know, some, some JoJo vibes, some Joseph vibes. Um, verse 14. Uh, if a man asks from with his neighbor, it is broken or dies, his master was not with him. Full payment he will pay. If the master was with him, he will not pay. If he was hired, he came in his hiring. I'd like to underline that you're talking about the Joseph energy being the torn to pieces, which is a first mention from the Joseph story. Yes. Not that he was really into chasing chickens. Correct. <laughs> yes, that was not, yeah, not into chasing chasing yes. chickens. Yes, um, I totally knew what you meant. Yes, the brothers claiming he was torn to pieces by wild animals. Right. Here's the evidence. We brought back the cloak. Seals the deal. Right. Um, Very Torah appropriate, apparently, except for the fact that they were lying. Okay, so if you ask for something from your neighbor and it is broken and you weren't there, then you have to pay. But if you were there, then you don't. Is that what this is saying? Um. Yeah, so kind of the rabbinic explanation here is that if you're a hired servant, right, you've been paid for the work with wages, Ah, mm -hmm. um, and your master is there, your master is uh, 
in charge of what is going on. Oh, right. Um, okay, so if you're not OSHA compliant, but right. the supervisor is standing there, it's on the supervisor, not you. Right. Forklift lift certified. It's in Torah. Yeah, and so you might lose your wages. Right. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay, well, that solves everyone's questions from the week. I am sure many of us have had all of those problems. Yeah. Set fields on fire, got somebody holding a donkey leg. Right, you told someone to guard your cash. Yeah. You came back for it later, and he was like, I don't know what happened. Right, there was a miniature donkey somebody had in their hand, uh, and you accidentally sent some grapes on fire. Okay, so part two. Part two, starting in verse 16. Okay, so here we are. If a man opens a separated woman who is not financially betrothed and he lies with her quickly, he will make pay. The dowry of the woman, if refusing her father refuses to give her to him, silver he shall weigh out according to the dowry of the separated woman. There's a rhythm to that. Um, so first off, it's not necessarily ooh-la-la the opening word. It could be, but it could also be bringing her out from her enclosure. We've talked about this before. Mm. The idea that we usually translate virginity. There's two words that we apply, namby-pamby, to right. whatever we feel. Um, but originally, before our concept of virginity showed up, it just means green, young, shoot. And so it really, originally, anytime you're talking about someone who was virginal, it just meant young. Similar to that, these words, this is all review, also just mean young, but with an added layer of separated. Because, if you're imagining this um, in a Victorian context, or pre-Victorian, you know, I don't know, English context, uh, English history... We got gotcha. you. We're with you. Thank you. Well, I'm roasting myself for my own historical inaccuracies mentally. Uh, I'll let it go. Okay. It's like being brought out into society, right? You're staying in the tent. You're yeah. not being brought out to be perused for who's going to marry you. You're just still staying within the insular, insula, haha, um, learning the things, staying with your mom mostly, right? And the other women. Right. Um, doing the work. So that's what it means by separated woman. Um, it's not, it, I mean, societally, it likely also means virgin because of context. Context. Right. Um, but that's not what the word means. So, right. We're talking about a concept that is developed later. It's right. not really part right. of their culture. Not biblical, um, which yeah. I mean, this kind of a weird concept. So, the other I'm, way we see this. Uh, translated here is seduces a woman. Okay. Right? That's kind of going to be a, a common uh, translation here that you might see. Yeah, and mustache twirling. Yeah, exactly. And so and that even that kind of can fit into kind of a broad interpretation of what does that mean. Right. Um, this, it, right. It doesn't say whether she is the initiator, right? It doesn't say whether she is a victim. It doesn't say whether it's somewhere in between in a moral gray, grayish right. area, right? It just says if a man does this, right? We've talked about the right. responsibility being on the guy in this society. Um, so, and she is not financially betrothed. Of course, it doesn't say financially. That's part of the word. It was not pretty. I was annoyed by it, but here we have there we have it. Um, 
He has to quickly pay the dowry. So his options are marry her with payment or if dad says absolutely not, he still has to pay her. Which yeah. I love as the backstop. It's not just like, oh no, shotgun wedding. I guess I have to marry this guy now. It's like the dad still gets to decide whether he's a good guy, which hopefully would go into whether there was consent involved, you know, and if the woman is excited, the young woman or not. Yeah. Um, so it's not just like, well, and I feel like it's portrayed that way all the time in media. Like, yeah. And then well, she had to marry him. Well, and this also gives a little bit of interesting insight into the Mary and Joseph scenario, because this would have probably applied to their situation, right? You guys were... Right. Uh, pay up, Yosef. Yeah, pay up. And and into that conversation of him being like, do I want to do this? Do I not want to do well, this? Well, he was... They were already betrothed, though. Mm, okay. So we got that betrothal so factor in different. there. Yeah. I'm sure we'll get to it later, though. I love this next one. <laughs> A foreign whispering priestess will not live. Yes. Interesting note from Rashi. He says, this does not mean you can go around killing foreign whispering priestesses. Oh, hey, Puritans. Um, and uh, he also says that this is not necessarily just uh, for women because men mm. can also practice magic. So um, what he says is that you are to bring them before the court uh -huh. for them to decide. Uh, you don't just get to go around and murder them because you're like, ha-ha, villain. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Okay, a couple things. I love that, Rashi. Thanks thanks for the gender-neutral gender sorceress. Um, it does have a female ending here, but I, I feel I feel that. Uh, by he the says, way, Scripture speaks of what is usually the case, for it is women who mostly practice witchcraft. Yeah. And that is quoting the Sanhedrin. Hmm. Well, 67A. Uh, yes. Tractate Sanhedrin is a banger. It has all the exciting stuff. You want the world to come? Tractate Sanhedrin. You want witchcraft? Tractate Sanhedrin. You want horrible misogyny? Tractate Sanhedrin. Okay. Um, that's hard to say a lot yeah. of times. You want woman caught in adultery? Tractate Sanhedrin. By the way, <laughs> by the way, big misconception about the Salem witch trails. There were lots of male wizards who were also condemned to death. Not just witches, but... They were reading Rashi. That's not as fun for some reason. <laughs> okay, so what does this actually say? The word here is very fun if you're trying to um, learn psst, psst, psst. how to... Well, kind of. If you're going to learn how to say Hebrew, uh, it might make you grumpy if you're a beginner and or someone who's easily made grumpy. The word is mecha shefa. Mecha shefa. Nachashifa. Mm -hmm, very good. All right. This word here in verse 18, despite all of our medieval renderings where we slap on our ideas about pointy hats and brooms because that's what we were worried about in the era of KJV, um, this is the word nachashifa. And that doesn't sound like when I say it, the word kasafu. But if you chop off the mem, which is a participle prefix that you don't have to worry about, you have kasafu or kashafu, right? Which okay. is a word from Assyrian. So this is a like Hebraic version of a word. Okay. Kind of like the Hebrew word for toast is dost. Sure. So it's like that. 
Um, and it's a very specific kind of priest, uh, but it's a, a dangerous evil sorcerer, which Arashi is correct, can be male or female. Hammurabi says you're supposed to drown them. So what I appreciate about... I happened to do research for the Bama podcast on um, wizard priests. And then when I was reading this, I was like, ah, speak of the devil. There it is. There it is. Um, so that was fun. So it's not just like, boy, you got to beware of those whispering evil women. They probably want to seduce you. Somehow those things always go together. Right. That is the, <laughs> that is the typical narrative of some of the writings is watch out. Right. Those wily women, which was definitely the trope back then. Right now, Christian culture says men are the horn dogs. <laughs> we have our episode title. No, we don't. Exodus 22. No. The horn dogs. Zacchaeus and the horn dogs. All right. Uh, but that's the narrative in our culture back then. Absolutely flipped. Men were serious and sober and wanted to work and do the things that they're supposed to do and have esteem and dignity. And women were there to draw them into their vices and um, drag them off track and keep them from being successful. So don't believe everything Christian culture tells you. Uh, that's the That's the idea. Okay, so I've gotten off track here. The point is... The writer of Torah in this section is worried not just about random wanton women lying around um, whispering things, presumably seductively, but rather he's worried about foreign priests. Right. Foreign evil wizard priests, which, yeah, I get it. <laughs> That's scary for multitude of reasons, right? It means that you're tolerating probably worship of other gods and not just that. It's not just like kill all foreign priests. It's, um, you know, the ones who are trying to curse you because they're evil. That's what they do. We have priests that are soothsayers. We have priests that break curses. This is a priest that makes curses. There is a fourth kind who's obsessed with stealing people's beauty, but it's not that kind. Um, so don't if somebody's prone to giving curses and <laughs> being a whisperer and, uh, you know, is very specifically from Assyria and the Bronze Age, according to Torah, you can Watch take out. them out. But... If it's a uh, Puritan era or before that medieval Europe, I don't think it applies. Sorry, Cotton Mather and everybody who definitely cares what I think, especially because they're dead. Verse 19. Uh, no bestiality. Verse 20. <laughs> Moving right along. Well, verse 20 is exciting stuff. He who slaughters to the gods. Boy, it sure would be awkward if you kept translating Ha Elohim as God. And then now it has the Elohim. Uh-oh. No, you know Uh-oh. Consistency okay. problem. Nope. It's fine. They, they, they figure it out at this verse. They got it. Oh, took them a while to wow. get there. Yep. That's so convenient. So you can just make it whatever you want. Cool, 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 cool. I'm not salty about that at all. So now suddenly everybody's on my team because we want to be able to sacrifice to God, but not the God. So now Ha Elohim is Ha Elohim, the gods. He will be sh shut away except to Yahweh alone. Um, by the way, Haram, which also shows up in Islam when they say that's Haram. Um, we, some of the translations I saw were like utterly destroyed. Right. Devoted to destruction. 
Right. Um, you can shut something away in order to destroy it. Um, but it's more like banned. Shall be banned. Yeah. Um, yeah. Destruction. Which seems... banned is how it's used in Arabic as well. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Destruction seems very specific. Um, I would assume that if it was to destroy, we might see that All somewhere. of the destroy words. There's a million destroy right. words. Yeah. We've had other passages where places are destroyed that are not this. Right. So, so if somebody sacrifices to the Elohim, he won't be utterly destroyed. He'll just be shut away. Hey, stop that. Yeah. Sit in a room by yourself. Who knows for how long. Except to Yahweh alone, you will not grind with hard labor. Hagar reference. Yep. Nor oppress a resident, an immigrant, one might say, for you were residents in the land of Mitzrayim. Yep. We're not good at this, America. Sure aren't. Well, maybe if they were just like nicer residents. All right. <laughs> okay. Every, I'm being facetious, every forsaken woman. Okay, I love this. The word for that we usually translate widow right. is almana. Um, and that word just means forsaken. So yes, by death would be one of the things. Mm. But I'm sure um, your husband dying, although certainly more common than it is now, thankfully um, there's lots of ways to be abandoned. Right. Um, and death is only one of them. So God doesn't just care about you widows. God also cares about single moms and people who were left. Unexpectedly. Yeah. And this one is so fascinating because there is an exception here that's even, you know, it's noted by the sages mm -hmm. that uh, God says, I will heed their cries. Yeah, this is where it gets bollard. And they note that it doesn't even say what God's going to do, right? He doesn't right. say anything, right? Right. He just says, I will heed their cries. My Enneagram 8 soul loves this section. It's like, ooh. You know? Yeah, I think that's <laughs> he's the vibe. Coming for you. That's right. all you get to know. Yeah. You don't get to hear exactly what he's going to do. And, of course, you can inject, like, grace, mercy, and compassion into that scenario. But in this moment, I don't like that. I just like hearing, he will heed. Right. right? Um, so that's almanad. There's also the word that is usually translated orphan. But that's also more narrow. narrow. So the word is tom. Tom, which makes me wonder, um, like Thomas has in the disciple, uh, his name is Greek and means twin. Um, and it's kind of hard to do something with that. You can, you can do stuff with that. You can talk about assimilation just fine. You can do something there. But I'm curious whether there's an undercurrent there in Thomas's name, Tom. So Tom, sorry to all the Toms out there, um, Tom. This means lonely child. It's more like deserted child okay. more than fatherless. So sure, again, dad dying, one of the ways that can happen. But this reminds me, we're always like, oh, wow, God really cares about, you know, he's got his eye open, not just for the Bukhar, not just for the chosen one, not just for the biggest one. Right. But like he tends to pick the sneaky kids or the runts of the litter, you know, like David, Yaakov. What's going on there? I guess he's just, you know, whimsical that way. Um, but here it says, when we have this expanded translation, it's because God has specifically an eye for the lonely kids, you know? Right. And he's heeding them. 
Um, and that can be within a family context, which again, um, feels much better than just um, orphans. Although that's probably part of my privilege and the fact that I'm not surrounded by orphans um, within my vision in my community anyway. Okay, if grinding them, you grind them with hard labor. If shrieking, he shrieks to me. So there's a two-parter there, right? Yeah. There's oppression and he has to cry out to God. Uh, Just important piece there. And we never like transactionalism and we like things to be more straightforward than that. But we don't see that in the text here. And we also don't always see that in the world. Right. And Rashi says this is an elliptical phrase. The text threatens but breaks off and does not specify immediately the punishment which will be fall upon those who do this. Right. Heeding. I will heed his shrieks. That's That's the Shema word. I will Shema his shrieks which we used to do here in obey until reed dent talked me into heed instead which i like but if you don't blame reed go email him (laughs) don't tell him why okay my nose will burn i will kill you with the sword ugh ugh shivers again we talked about last week um, the sword in Romans 13 and Peter, not Peter, my goodness, it's late at night. Paul says um, that the government is now the sword, right? Mm. We're talking about how mm-hmm. that's moving from a theocratic society to a non-theocratic society. That was my hot take on that Romans passage. Um, or it's certainly one reading. Yeah. You're forsaken, your women, forsaken women, your sons, lonely children. I love that poetic rendering, um, very condensed, which is like the number one marker of poetry in the text in Hebrew. If my people bind silver to the oppressed who are with you, you will not be a creditor to him. You will not place interest over him. Um, So this word for creditor is like the lift word, which is the forgiveness word. But um, it's like you won't hold it over him. You won't lift up the silver over him and be like, hey, so I gave you some silver a while back. Um, how are things coming along? Like, right. you gave it to him, you gave it to him. Uh, if he pays you back, awesome. But you're not going to place interest in that. Yeah, there's um, some interesting notes in the uh, writings of the sages that talk about this in context of specifically if you bind silver to, they take this oppressed who are with you and say that that is specifically other Israelites. Okay. You will not be a creditor to him. Classic. Actually, that's only for my people, not for the other ones. Right. If winding, you wind the dress of your neighbor. I think it's tied into that neighbor concept. Who right. is my neighbor? Yeah, I get that. Um. Uh, which but I what just does think is Jesus say? right. I think that's fascinating because of what Jesus says, right? And the fact that even here, it's not that explicit, right? Right. right. Um, well, well, I'll give them a little bit of credit, unless they live in the borderlands, in which, boy, that's an interesting setup. Taking on the identity of living on the border and choosing that as a mantle is a choice potentially, but the word for neighbor is the word for pasture, right? So it's just the person on the pasture that's next to yours. So very localized, which makes sense for their community, right? They're not dealing with social media where you can yell at anybody on the planet at any point of time. Um, So I get where they're coming from. 
Sure. Um, but maybe it's totally possible you have a resident as your neighbor. So I that's why I still think it's awfully convenient to say, oh, but only if they're in a light. Right. And then you can also do terrible stuff to your servants because earlier they said like, but if the servant is in an Israelite, right? So they're making lines that Jesus is going to say aren't there. Okay. Winding, binding. Um, there is like in the rest of Torah, this is used as take sometimes, but it's not the word for take. It's used for pledge sometimes, but it's not the word for pledge in um, the Tamar and Yehuda story like you would hope. It's used in Nehemiah to say we have acted. Okay. So it's a it's a tricky it's a tricky word, but um, it means bind in Arabic. So I usually feel like if the sister language has a very specific meaning, not like a whole word family okay and that's a good one to go with um but you have to use your poetic imagination there and have that context to know that um which would be provided in a footnote if you're reading it but you're not reading it at this moment so you have me so if you bind the dress to yourself right everybody's wearing dresses it's not robe or garment it's dress um, and you're winding it to yourself, you're binding it to yourself, you're saying, hey, I'm going to take this for a bit, um, and it is now for this particular time for me. Before the sun arrives, which is usually, I mean, the sun goes down. I'm still not sure why they use the word arrive for sunset, but it seems like that's the case. It is interesting. It throws me for a loop every time yeah, I see it. Yeah, it's like, where is it arriving? Is it arriving in Sheol or something? I don't know. You shall return it to him, for if that is... His only covering. Um, so <laughs> it's really her in the manuscript. And once again, ding, 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 our translators are like, mm, scribal error, but we're not going to tell anybody. So these things happen. Yeah, fascinating. Yep. If it is her only covering, it is his dress for his nakedness. I think those two things can still be worked out, or maybe they're being gender neutral by bouncing between genders. I don't know. There's no gender neutral in Hebrew. And what will he sleep? It will be when he shrieks to me, which at first that feels kind of melodramatic. But then I remember that I live in a heated home mm. and that I've lived in. I haven't lived in a tent, thankfully, but I've been camping in tent. I've been camping in a tent with not enough, not good enough sleeping yeah. bag and blankets. Yeah. And no, I totally get the shrieking. <laughs> <laughs> yes. my soul has done some shrieking especially in a field in belgium i will heed for i am a patron elohim that word is hanun yeah um the, so, word, the patronage word the grace the favor word yeah we see that translated as compassionate or compassion oh, goodness um so nrsv and robert alter say compassionate well, Bob and I can have a talk. Uh, he wouldn't, I wouldn't be let in that room, but that's okay. Um, so this is our chen word, um, grace, favor. And our problem is we try to translate grace into um, favor. We say, what is what is grace? It's unmerited favor. That's a um, definition from the Puritan era from, I think, like 1660. Um, and it is cyclical. It is circular because it's the same word. Grace and favor are the same words. So um, we've talked before, and I will continue to talk until 
I change my mind or die that uh, it's it's the word for patronage. It's a, a cultural word used for when you receive a gift, a resource, a relationship, a connection, uh, something from your patron. And so he okay. says it's not even it's not our normal adjective form, which also makes me um, raise my eyebrow that we're just going with gracious, which again for us that means like oh that's so nice, sure, yep, which is different <clears throat> uh, and compassionate. We have I would prefer to put chesed as compassionate or um, even racham or word for nurturing. Okay, <sighs> but oh well, you can't win them all. So I am a patron. Elohim. By the way, that's just, there's no ha there. I'm still winning. That's what you, <laughs> it's important. No, it just says Elohim. There's no the Elohim. I am a patron, Hanun Elohim. You will not make one light who is lifted up in your people, nor curse. Boy, this is a challenging one for America in 2023. Well, so it would be, except for, let me tell you what other translations say. Oh, boy. You will not revile God oh. nor curse oh. <laughs> other people. <laughs> what? And what? and it's interesting because that is the standard way that they choose to interpret that or okay. translate it. Here's what they're doing, everyone. They're scooping God into... Oh, that's so tricky. Okay, so in Hebrew... Syntax goes like this. It's a verb and then direct object. So, and then the person doing it, the subject. Okay. So it would say, um, ate the apple eye. That's okay. the order. They have scooped Elohim, which in that case would be the direct object, in which case it should have a direct object modifier on it, not modifier, marker, the et. It should then it should be um, not you shall revive revile at Elohim, but it doesn't say that. So they're bringing down Elohim from the earlier from verse, verse twenty-seven when he says for Chanunani Elohim, and they're saying it just says Chanunani, it just says um, patron I, and then they're putting Elohim and they're messing up their syntax in order to make that work because boy oh boy do we love reviling our rulers. <laughs> Yeah, the ones who are lifted up in our people, we love to tear them down so much so that we will drag words out of our syntax, out of our word order, out of our grammar, in order that we can make that happen. Um, and that's not super surprising because um, in the KJV era originally, and everybody else who did English translation, right, Wycliffe. They had serious problems, serious problems with the government. They were being persecuted by the government. They're mad at the government. You know, King Henry era, they're being made to just try to find some way that he can get divorced. And they're being made to lie to do that or get um, murdered. And so uh, that had happened like 10 years ago when they wrote KJV, mm. nearly. I, that's an exaggeration. It had happened very recently, historically. Um, Elizabeth also murdered a whole bunch of people. So it totally, for their faith, totally makes sense to me. We don't like the government. We're going to scoot some things We're going to say around. you can revile them. Now, they do, say, they do say you can't curse them, right? You can't revile God, and you can't curse your leaders. Okay. <laughs> okay. But I guess you could do the flip-flop. Yeah, right. 
Uh, oh boy. Um, fascinating. So getting back to pastoral here, you can criticize, right? Um, there's ethical criticism where you can say the government is doing something wrong. You're allowed to do that. Um, it doesn't say that you can't, you just have to wander around being like, my government is perfect and I love them and they're the best government. Um, the Bible is not right. supporting blind patriotism or worse, um, jingoism, etc. It's not, it's not doing that. Um, it is saying that you cannot make them light. So the opposite of honor. Right. So you can respectfully disagree and you can communicate that and even criticize. You can be a prophetic voice, but being a prophetic voice should still be honoring the person, right? Prophets show up and they say, oh, some, uh, Ephraim, how could you do this? You are God's cherished bride, right. right? That's how prophets show up. And sometimes we think we're being prophetic when we show up and we make light of everybody. And it's like, oh, I'm using humor. Um I don't think that's helpful, uh, and I think this verse is pointing out that it's also not kosher. Okay. Verse 29. Your fullness and your weeping, you will delay. The chosen of your sons you will give to me. All right. So I 1,000% get that this is so obscure as to be obscured. Um, yeah. Let me read the NRSV real quick. Yeah. Uh, the NRSV says, You shall not delay to make offering from the fullness of your harvest and from the outflow of your presses. That's great. One of the ones I read was your juices. So um, the fullness and your weeping. So dum'ah is a word. Okay, so that's definitely what they're talking about. In my opinion, going backwards, when it says fullness, I think it means your produce right because we're talking about right first offerings um when it says them ah which is our word for tears um i think it's talking about like you can't make start to make your wine and then be like haha <laughs> right but right. it's not the word for young wine it's a word that means tears and so i left it there even though it's so hard that you definitely need a footnote to know what's going on because I think there's something beautiful and poetic in being in saying that our abundance, the first of our abundance belongs to God and the first of our weeping belongs to God, right? It's not just your tenth. Mm. It's not just your tithing mm -hmm. that you set aside and you're supposed to give to people. To God is with your first celebration, the thing that you were overjoyed. I got my first paycheck. Woo! God is with you in that moment and is celebrating that with you. And in our first heartbreak, in our first loss, in our first grief, God is also present in that. And that also belongs to him, even if you're not bottling your tears. They do have tear bottlers, by the way. Um, anyway, even if you're not pouring it out on an altar, literally, physically. Okay, so that's why I left it in, even though it feels unintelligible. Hopefully, you can forgive me. We're nearly there. We're yep. nearly at the end. Verse 30. So you shall do to your oxen and your flock animals. Seven days it will be with its mother. On the eighth day you will give him to me. Men set apart for a purpose. You shall be to me. You will not eat torn meat in the field. You will send it to the dog. I love this. Okay. So 
we have this beautiful thing and then uh expanding out from produce to animals right which we're often talking about how animals are usually included and what is holy to god ding 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 here's another spot there's a firstborn there's a chosen within your animals and you send it to the levites as well presumably that's what it means by give him to me because it doesn't say slaughter him um which is also good because the next thing up is kids so men kodesh um, men holy uh, this again is following in Moshe's um, gender signifier, right? Because God just said the first to open the womb. Moshe said males. Mm-hmm. And so here we have a continuation of that on the She. Uh, men, holy you will be um, to me. Which is, you can read that a lot of ways. Again, getting poetic. It can be holy you shall be, set apart you shall be, and then to me. Or holy you will be to me. Like okay. to me right. you are set apart right. even if you look normal. Preach it both ways. Um, okay. And then just like we have prescriptions for Nazarenes, right? Nazarites. About they're not allowed to have any product of the grape. They're not allowed to touch a dead body. Levites have things they're not allowed to do. Firstborns out there, according to Torah, no eating roadkill. <laughs> That's your main thing. Um, I'm sure somebody has a cool teaching about that. I don't. Um, um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, that's interesting. So the general interpretation of that in verse 31 specifically is that it is now referencing the entire people of Israel. Oh. So they, they do a shift there, okay. right? Verse 30 is, is yeah, they do. Yep. So, um, you shall be a people is generally how you'll see that translated. You shall be a people set apart for a purpose. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I have the chapters messing with me there. And it's not that unusual to have a random one thrown in, right? Like our witchy sorceress ladies right. um, were thrown in out of nowhere. Presumably it lines up with something in a magnificent, incredible chiasm that I'm not going to find at this time. Um so maybe, maybe they go together. Maybe they don't. Maybe it's a rule just for firstborns. Maybe it is not. In general, it seems good not to eat roadkill, though. So give it to the dog. Yep. Um, the word send there is our Exodus word. So we're staying in theme. We're sending it like the Israelites came out of uh, Mitzrayim. Send the roadkill to the animals, to the dogs. Anyway, if you have any... <laughs> If you have any uh, questions, comments, concerns, encouragements, any of the above, feel free to send them to textinus at gmail.com. Much like God, there's no the. Yeah. No the Elohim, just textinus. Yeah, and feel free as well to continue sending us Bible translations that you would like to see us use on the podcast. We'll be switching those out between mailbox episodes, so... With your questions, uh, send in some suggestions because we'd love to have those and uh, bring some of your preferences into what we're doing here. Yep. So this has been the Textinus Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, and we hope that you will join us again next week for Exodus chapter 23. Bye.